You're listening to Podnosis, the pulse of the healthcare industry. I'm Ayla Ellison. Mental health conditions are the leading cause of maternal mortality, and most pregnancy-related deaths are preventable. Though screening alone does not improve outcomes, it can help identify conditions early and decrease stigma around mental health. The American College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists has national guidelines on the recommended frequency of such screenings. Yet a recent fierce healthcare investigation by Anastasia Glietkovskia found that in 2021, screening for mental health conditions across the country was rare during pregnancy and postpartum. Obstetricians are not typically trained on mental health, and doctors can be reluctant to treat mental health conditions in pregnant patients. Even when a patient is screened for a condition, what's next? Mental health treatment is often cash-based and expensive, and wait times for patients are said to be getting worse. That means bad news for women who need treatment fast. Northwell Health, one of New York's largest health systems, integrated behavioral health services at several of its OB practices in the last few years. So far, the results are promising. Anastasia sat down with the architect of that integration, George Alvarado, to talk about why such an approach is so effective and how others can replicate it. Here they are. Hi, George. It's great to be chatting with you again. Thanks for having me today. As I understand, it brought integrated behavioral health care to OBGYN and pediatric services at Northwell, and it's now being implemented across multiple practices. As I understand it, this started in early 2020, even though it was years in the making. So can you tell me a bit about what led you to realize that this is something that was needed? Sure. And you know, I was one of a kind of a, of the team, you know, included working in integrated behavioral health care, the vice chair of OBGYN, Stephanie McNally, the other folks from the uh, behavioral health service line. So a team effort. But the work we've been doing up to that point was bringing integrated care into many of our adult and pediatric practices, specifically using a model informed by the collaborative care model, which lots of places are using. What we had not seen as much of uptake was in OBGYN, but Stephanie specifically came forward, was really a champion for this, said there's a need for this type of work, and that's where those conversations started. So both her and a psychiatrist by the name of Manish Safra they were working together on some other projects, identified this, and that's really where that impetus came from, but collaboration across departments. And what is the collaborative care model for those who might not know? So it's a, it's basically a, a model of bringing behavioral health care into primary care and other medical settings, into ambulatory settings where folks might not otherwise have access. Primary goal really is to increase access to behavioral health. Very often that's in the form of medication, but also could be in the form of psychotherapy or even things like care coordination. One really basic thing about the model, it has three different players in it. One is the medical practitioner, that be it a primary care doc, pediatrician, an OB. They work closely with someone uh, called a care manager. So that could be a social worker, psychologist, licensed mental health counselor. And that's really the the access of a lot of this work. So the medical provider screens, identifies a problem. They send that person over to the care manager. And then the care manager assesses, uh, intervenes, does therapy. The psychiatrist, that's the third person in the model, and I often play this role, 
they are there for backup. So they supervise the care manager, they're available for consultation to the medical provider, and these three folks work together to be able to bring behavioral health care into the medical setting. What is the reason that it's important to integrate behavioral health care for a population like pregnant people or, or new mothers, um, in addition to these other practices, like you mentioned, pediatric? I think in the pregnant moms, uh, for starters, there are uh, high rates of depression in this population. I think the most often cited statistic is one in eight. And so that's highly prevalent, and this could have a lot of effects. It could have effects on the mother's health and her well-being. It could have effects on her ability to care for the new infant. It could have effects on relationships, on ability to work. So depression itself, a lot of times we think about just the effects on mood and how it affects the individual, but not just that, but it could also affect their functioning and uh, a lot of the their environment around them, extremely um, impactful and uh, affects a lot of people. So that is part of what drove this forward. And before this, this model was implemented across some of these practices for this population, what was the referral process like? What were the resources mm. that were available to these patients before you yeah. had this care manager? So they're limited. Fortunately, I uh, work in Northwell. It's a large health system. We have uh, some pretty uh, specific uh, services. For instance, we have a perinatal clinic. And uh, that's led, there's a great team there, including uh, Dr. Christina Delgenitis, uh, who's a kind of researcher, clinician in the space. But even with all those resources, the access to that clinic is limited, right? So there, there, there's a wait, there's a lot of folks uh, waiting to get in. And in many other health systems or communities, we don't even have clinics like that. And we're dealing with a lot of the classic access issues. You can't get in to see someone, or if you do, it's weeks, months on end. Mm -hmm. And if you think about that impact on functioning, mom's health, baby's health, family health, uh, that's a terribly long amount of time to be suffering. And as I understand it, especially in the postpartum period, it's really important to get immediate treatment if you're suffering from depression or postpartum depression. Exactly, because it could progress. It could lead to things like suicidal ideation or develop further into things like postpartum psychosis, other things. So again, it can have very bad effects if it's not treated quickly. Mm -hmm. So I know that your program, this um, behavioral health counselor that you offer, Jacqueline, who I also spoke to, mm -hmm. program is remote, so she offers remote psychotherapy, right, for people who get referred. So what are the yes. benefits of having this via telehealth? And maybe you can talk about how the reason this program went remote was in part because of the pandemic, right? Yes. Yeah, we were not thinking about doing this remotely when we were starting it in kind of January of 2020. That really forced our hand. But I think in many ways it was fortuitous because I guess just to, to back up, I think telehealth, it's mixed. It works well for some populations, not so well for others. Generally, what we're finding in terms of feedback from the patients and from the docs, it works really well for new moms. It's just being having to come in for an extra appointment, finding childcare, transportation, not to mention the fact that this person already is feeling depressed and maybe not particularly motivated to be able to do that visit from the comfort of your home, to be able to do that follow-up from the comfort of your home. That's terrific. Now, the, the caveat to all that is, you know, do you have a stable internet connection? Do you have a phone or a computer or the tech to do this? And do you have a private place where you're able to speak? 
provided the answer to that is yes, it could work really well. And you know, for many of the folks that we've you know reached out to, it it has been effective. And I think it not only does it create access, but it's removed some of the barriers to actually utilizing it. Mm, that's great. Yeah, I think we've seen throughout the past couple of years just how powerful telehealth can be in some cases. But like you said, it's not necessarily for everybody. So what is your approach for people with higher acuity needs? Uh, so higher acuity, so this is still, in, in many ways, I think collaborative care is a really good front door program. So what we typically say with our care managers and our docs, like, we will see everyone, right? So we won't say that this is only for depression or anxiety, or this is only for folks that have mild to moderate. That's often used as the buzzword for collaborative care. It's a position or it's meant to address mild to moderate in the medical setting. Even if you just close your doors to everyone else, that's not that effective to the practice, to the patients, to the docs. And our calling card is send us anyone that you're concerned about and then based on the assessment and our engagement with that patient, we could figure out what they need. And if we do have that need, if they do have a higher need, we're able to then refer them to a higher level of care. And with, within the Northwell Health System, that might look like referring someone to perinatal. Actually, a, a great development we had in the last you know, year or so, the person who is supervising, Catherine Jacqueline, uh, another doc, I mean, Dr. Hatyamu, she works in the perinatal clinic. She spends part of her time there, and she works with our clinic. So she's actually able to take some of that experience from perinatal, leverage it to supervise the OB clinic and Catherine. And then if there's a patient that needs more, she could refer them over and continue to follow them in perinatal. So you're actually creating a, a continuum. So there, there are opportunities to do that. The other thing, too, sometimes you have folks who are quite high risk and you would like nothing more than to refer them to a high level of care. They may not be ready, right? They may be resistant. There might be a whole host of things that are getting in the way. So even being able to use that collaborative care program to engage the person, sometimes we could do things like a telepsychiatry consultation while they're still in their OB practice. We could do a lot of things, but it's really trying to leverage the model to meet the person where they are, rather than vice versa. Sometimes you see it applied like, all right, does the person fit the model? We try to flip that on its head. Really, can we use the model to help as many people as we can? That's a great way of thinking about it. And in terms of the breakdown, maybe you can give an estimate of how many, I'm thinking about capacity, how many people can be helped via telehealth and what proportion of them may need to get referred to the perinatal center, for example? I would say of the 100 or so, that we saw in the first two years. Easily two-thirds of those, we were able to intervene in some way, either through medication or short-term therapy or some combination of both. Sometimes even after we do that, we find that the person still has ongoing needs and requires a referral to, to ongoing care. And then there's a smaller proportion of folks that come in and they may immediately be acute because of the severity of depression, because of suicidal ideation, because of substance abuse disorder issues, or a combination of all those things. But usually, I would say smaller, maybe 10 to 15% that are we're ultimately sending out for ongoing care. Another pathway we're trying to develop is after 6, 12 months, partum, if the person's stable on a the med, they're not going to necessarily stay with their OB for primary care, 
they still need to be linked. And actually, if we sent them over to one of our other integrated care sites that does primary care, that's another place we could have continuity. I did want to turn to the just screening practices in general. We spoke for my story that came out last month on maternal mental health and the fact that despite guidance from ACOG, for example, on recommended frequency of screening for perinatal depression and anxiety, screenings are pretty rare, according to the data that I was able to get for 2021 at least. And I know that ACOG just updated its guidance this past May to have to recommend more frequent screenings. I'm wondering your take on whether this guidance is enough for providers, maybe what the practice, what the typical yeah. practice had been like at Northwell. I think that the guidance is is great. There's another group that offers a lot of guidance on this. You, you're probably familiar with the U.S. Preventive Services Task Force, where mm-hmm. so they do a lot for adults and for peds. And the, the caveat that they always issue is that depression screening, for instance, it's recommended if appropriate uh, mechanisms are in place to follow through on it. And I think the way ACOG lays it out, like being able to do this at uh, early in pregnancy, during, after, that's excellent. That's best practice and gives maximizes your chance of being able to pick this up. But then it's all about being able to actually have resources. And the resources don't have to be uh, a behavioral health care manager. They could also be just having a good link to a clinic that has access. Very often, the practices don't have anything or they have a list of providers. It's a crapshoot if anyone will even answer the phone or give you an appointment. So as far as Northwell goes, system-wide, there has been push to improve depression screening. It's one of the number one quality all of our ambulatory practices. What is the importance of standardization in terms of the the frequency of screening and maybe even this, the questionnaires that are being asked? How do you go about making sure everybody is on the same page? So I, I think we are still in a, a journey of, of standardization. And, and that's what I, I was mentioning with uh, our uh, ambulatory you know, quality initiative to, to make uh, you know, annual screening in adult and pediatrics the standard, and then these more frequent screenings um, in, in OBGYN. Part, part of it is education. Part of it are just some of the technical limitations, right? Even workflow. When are we doing it? Who is doing it? Is it some of this is still pen and paper versus being able to find widespread digital solutions, being able to push it out to someone's phone or to email them? I would say right now we're a large health system, lots of different ambulatory sites, lots of different ways of doing this. But I think we're learning from that. There have been lots of pilots. Collaborative care has been helpful for this. Quality uh, initiatives have been helpful for this moving towards a single EHR and a single sort of patient portal and ways that we could ingest this information and bring it in will help. But it's almost screening in some ways, even a single measure seems deceptively simple, right? It's okay, we're going to just do the PHQ for everyone. But like, when do you do it? How do you do it? Who gets it? Who doesn't get it? What if they, again, what if they score positive on the safety question? Where do you go from there? So it, it opens up all these follow-up questions. And that, that's where I think just a lot of the devils in the details of being able to actually effectively scale this. And with us, it's like 
across Long Island and New York City and Westchester. But I think we're making those inroads now so that there is sort of a standard understanding, standard training, standard approach, and we're drawing the data and we're able to look at where people are. But it's multi-pronged many years to do it. But I think the fact that we have the scale, it will help us to make a bigger impact once we're there. Northwell is massive and you might have resources that are not available to other providers. What would you recommend to folks that are not able to pursue this integrated approach for behavioral care in terms of just coordinating and making sure patients are still getting the help they need? Yeah, I think we might have talked about this for the article. In New York State in particular, there's a program called Project Teach. This is available for pediatrics and for OBs. So any pediatrician or OB can call the hotline. They could give information to register their practice, and then they could speak directly to, to a consultant about the case. If there's even more of a need, that program's even able to do a telepsychiatry consultation. It's great, totally free of charge, and, and it's available to any practitioner in New York State. There's a similar program called the Massachusetts uh, Psych- Child Psychiatry Access Program in, in Massachusetts. They do that. So that that's one, if someone needed to do something tomorrow. Another, the intermediate options are just trying to build a relationship with a local clinic or a local psychiatrist or some just the very basic way of doing this. You don't necessarily have to have an embedded practitioner. If there's a clinic down the street or somewhere in in the neighborhood that is able to even give you one or two referral spots a month where you know the patient will go, that's a start. And even better, if you sign some sort of agreement and they're able to close the loop and tell you if that person actually came or how they're doing. And it's a really basic coordination. And then there's these higher order things where you're actually hiring more staff and bringing them in. But there are a few things that are low cost, that, especially for mom and pop practices, smaller places that don't have the budget for this. There, there are some things that you could do for starters. That's great. Those are all really helpful. Those programs in New York and Massachusetts that are free to practitioners and also just coordinating with the community seem sensible, at least short-term options. Thank you so much, George. This was fascinating. Of course. Thank you again for the invitation. Thank you for listening to Podnosis. I'm Ayla Ellison. You can find out more about this topic in our show notes at FierceHealthcare.com. Look for podcasts. And don't forget to tune in every Wednesday morning to Podnosis, where healthcare is our beat.